regardless of where you stand on the matter of data science sexiness, it's simply impossible to ignore the continuing importance of data as well as our ability to analyze, organize, and contextualize them. Data are changing how our businesses and societies function. They are being used to solve a ton of interesting problems and shaping the questions we can ask of the world around us. Hi, I'm James Lee, and this is Datacast. Join me for raw conversations with practitioners from the worlds of AI, machine learning, statistics, and data science. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to uh, another episode of Datacast. And today I'm uh, on the call with uh, Christopher Peters. Uh, Christopher is a full stack data scientist at Zapier. He was both uh, Zapier and uh, Treehouse first data scientist. Uh, prior to his work as a data scientist, he was a research associate at uh, Louisiana State University's Center for Energy Studies, where he was an energy economist. Uh, he has a real passion for working with and sharing, visualizing, and analyzing data of all kinds using uh, statistical, visual, and uh, machine learning techniques. So, uh, welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, let's go back to your early days in college. I saw that you uh, study uh, econometrics and quant- quantitative economics at uh, Louisiana State. And so, uh, what about this field of study that you uh, that got you initially hooked? Absolutely. Um, so I started studying econometrics uh, in 2006, roughly. Um, and the first problem that my teacher gave us to uh, build a model around was estimating the price of a home, uh, specifically estimating that the amount of value that the neighborhood provided. So like imagining if you were to pick up the home and move it to different neighborhoods around the city, uh, estimating how much um, those neighborhoods added or subtracted from the value of a home. Uh, I thought this was kind of magical, and it really got me hooked into model building and statistics. Uh, did you um, take any interesting courses, you know, in, in, in back in your undergrad that, you know, kind of really get you, uh, get you uh, interested in statistics, per se? Yes. Yeah, it was definitely undergrad where I got interested in statistics. Um, I took three econometrics courses. Uh, One was an introduction. Um, One was financial econometrics. Um, So kind of focused on like stock prices. Um, And the um, last one was forecasting. I see. Uh, Yep. Awesome. And so, um, you know, uh, after finishing your undergrad, you sort of become uh, a research associate with the Center for Energy Studies also at LSU. Uh, so let's go, you know, over your research work during your time there. Sure. Yeah, I work for Louisiana State University Center for Energy Studies. Um, I started there before I finished my undergrad, and I was a lowly student worker. Okay. Um, but I was doing econometrics work, applied econometrics work, which was what um, drew me to the job. Um, after I graduated, um, having worked there for about a year, uh, I worked there for another year, uh, LSU has a tuition exemption program, and so that allowed me to start my um, master's degree in applied statistics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so what are some of the interesting projects you've done during your time at uh, yeah. Center? Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, the Center for Energy Studies um, kind of studies energy um, broadly, but being located in Louisiana, oil and natural gas is a large focus. Um, and so one of the um, pieces of work I did was building a model to measure the impact of a court ruling, a key court ruling mm-hmm. um, that the industry suspected had slowed down drilling in Louisiana. Um, so I prepared and built a econometric model under the supervision of my uh, boss, who was also an economist, uh, econometrician. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, there was also um, the uh, Deepwater Horizon oil spill uh, happened while I was working at the center. Okay. And so I um, uh, was tasked with estimating the economic impacts to the state uh, due to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I did other things like uh, estimate the value of um, a secondary, uh, um, I guess, egress from a natural gas storage facility. Like if you had a natural gas storage facility with one egress and prices spike, you might be able to make some extra money if you had two egresses and could push the natural gas out faster. Mm. Um, I estimated, you know, um, if that would be worth it. Mm, I see. So, so uh, from your experience as an energy economist, um, what are some of the current energy problems in the world today that you believe can be solved using data science? Yeah. Well, um, I think uh, while I was working at the center, I also um, did some moonlighting as a, a, a consultant on ener- electricity rate making cases. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Many folks may not be aware that um, electricity prices are set uh, through court proceedings between utilities and the state around the U.S., and this is also common in Canada, and the, the model is really worldwide. So I think the most common, important um, econometrics work that touches people's lives and energy today is really focused on kind of keeping utilities um, honest in these types of proceedings. Um So we can get, um, we can all have our like utilities uh, with a fair and equitable price. Do you believe? Well, just from your experience, you know, being familiar in the energy sort of uh, domain industry, do you think they're gonna open to 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 like utilizing technologies and, and data to apply to their work? You know, is the, the absolutely yes. Um, when I was working at the Center for Energy Studies, I Um, interacted with oil companies and their analysts, um, and uh, I learned that oil companies are incredibly sophisticated when it comes to using data. They're some of the most sophisticated data users in the world. Mm. The stakes of drilling an oil well are very high in terms of the money, and so it has really pushed them to up the quality of their analysis. Um, and I see job postings for data scientists in the oil industry um, all the time. You uh, you, decided, you decided to continue your education with uh, uh, another master uh, this time in applied statistics also at LSU. So, um, what's what's like the motivation behind this decision? Yeah, um, so I was working as a practicing econometrician, and I had a I knew I wanted to go further into data analysis, and I really um, I had two main options at the time. This was uh, Uh, I guess 2010, uh, the options were operation, operations research, 
which LSU calls uh, information systems and decision systems, um, or statistics. And I kind of looked at the two and I was like, well, you know, the reputation of statistics is that it's like rigorous and hard and also, um, you know, general as well. And so I, I chose statistics because I felt like it offered um, a lot of breadth mm -hmm. uh, in terms of application. Like it could be applied to any field. Uh, so I went that route. Certainly. It, it, yeah, talking about like, you know, the rigor and difficulty of that program, um, what were some of the most useful courses that you took in grad school? Yes. Um, I think there's a huge misconception out there that uh, theory, like statistical theory, is not practical. Mm -hmm. Meaning that, like, you might learn something in that class and then, like, go through a career and, like, never apply it. But I found um, really the opposite to be true, that um, statistical theory has helped me avoid wasting time and going down paths that wouldn't be fruitful. Um, so I would say my... Um, Statistical theory courses are number one and two. And then after that, there's kind of a sleeper course. Uh, my advisor taught the survival analysis and reliability course at our school. Mm -hmm. He was known for being quite hard, uh, so students would tend to shy away from his uh, course because it was optional. And being his student, he said, hey, you have to take, one of the conditions of me being your advisor is you have to take this class. Well... It turns out that survival analysis maps directly to conversion rate analysis. Survival analysis can be restated conversion rate analysis. And so you can see that working for web apps in a web app context, that that survival analysis course has just been really helpful for understanding conversion rates and optimizing conversion rates. Interesting. Um, do you have to do like a, like a thesis or project as part of your master degree? I did. I had to do what they call a special problem. Um, and I was super lucky because I uh, was working at a, as a data scientist at Treehouse while I was getting my master's degree. Mm -hmm. So when my special problem came up, I, um, I did it on um, churn, the churn of Treehouse, like the subscription duration of Treehouse. Um, and I applied a random forest to that too figure out different um, predictors and determinants of churn. Oh, that's just really cool. Like you uh, kind of apply, you know, some of the some of the academic work that you learn in school, you know, directly for uh, uh, consumer products. So you kind of like get the best of both worlds, right? Like you learn yeah. Uh, if you can swing it, my advice to anyone is that if you can swing it, it was, it was difficult and uh, mm -hmm. like I had very long days. It was a lot of stress. Um, uh, but... Um, I certainly learned a lot both working and applying, you know, at night and going to school during the day. I see, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is some good insights for me as, as well because right now I'm, like, doing my master, but I also do, like, some of uh, the freelance work for, like, one or two different startups so I can see, um, you know, how, how I can potentially get from what I get in school and then apply that to, to some That's of those great. work, you know. So, yeah, definitely a, a good um, analogy for me to follow. Anyway, uh, talking about like uh, statistics in general, so you have a website, your, your personal website is called Stat Wang, right? Um, yeah, what's, the me what's the meaning behind the name? Yeah, uh, so when I uh, first started out, uh, 
at Treehouse, I I was the first um, Chris uh, there, and Chris is not an uncommon name, and so I thought, hey, uh, I should kind of take a handle. Um, I noticed someone else in the company had their own like handle, and I thought that was a cool part of internet culture, um, and so I thought, hey, what what kind of handle would represent me? And of course, I'm a huge statistics nerd, and um, wonk means like expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just took stat and wonk and put it together and uh, mm-hmm. made that my internet handle. Yeah, that's that's a nice one. Um, yeah. Anyway, I um, I read through your 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 website, and well, obviously you've written a lot of tutorials covering a variety of uh, statistical models. You know, uh, including like like you mentioned earlier, survival analysis. Bayesian learning, mixture models, uh, binomial distribution, and many more. Um, well, you already talked about survival analysis, but uh, besides that one, what is you know your favorite technique that you have worked with so far, and why? Sure. Um, I one thing I noticed uh, in both at both Treehouse and Zapier is that count data is incredibly common. Um, this the reason for that is that. Um, those are both web apps, and they collect log log files with timestamps. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're always kind of binning those timestamps into some time interval, like hours, days, weeks, and then analyzing counts. Um, so I, I ended up uh, kind of going further and specializing in count data. Um, I mostly use uh, generalized linear models. Um, the... Um, Poisson uh, distribution is an exponential family distribution, so is the negative binomial distribution. Uh, so I um, specialized in fitting uh, generalized linear models uh, to count data. Mm, interesting. Um, so, so besides your own, what, what uh, resources, you know, I'm talking like books, courses, and, and blog in general that you you know, good recommend for, you know, like aspiring data scientists who want to master some of these fundamental statistical techniques, say if they, they don't have time or, or financial resources to like go to grad school, for example? Yeah. Um, if you're just starting out with statistics, I would uh, recommend the Think Stats uh, book by Ellen Downey. Okay. Um, he also has Think Bayes, and I think both of those are great if you're kind of like at the beginning stages. Um if you're in the intermediate stage, um, I admit this uh, book recommendation, this book is quite terse, um, but Casella and Berger's um, Statistical Inference um, is also a really great book for kind of learning the nitty-gritty of um, statistics. Yep. Mm. Um, and then I have a third recommendation, uh, which on this one I'm a little bit biased because my advisor co-wrote it, it's called Statistical Intervals, okay. uh, a guide for practitioners and researchers by Meeker, Han, and Escobar. Okay. Um, statistical intervals is really great for um, that point when you get picky about your intervals. Mm-hmm. That you maybe you're questioning them whether they're accurate for a particular um, type of inference or task, or you want to make a more nuanced um, inference, um, or you're doing Bayesian statistics and you want to know about the difference between credible intervals and confidence intervals, that book is quite good. Definitely. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely put that into the show notes. Um, so let's uh, move back into sort of your career trajectory. Uh, you uh, became the first data scientist at Treehouse 
you know, which uh, in which the mission is to teach the world to code, right? Um, how did you come about this opportunity? Yeah, I had a friend who saw Ryan Carson, who's the CEO of Treehouse, tweet out, "Hey, I'm looking for an R programmer." Mm-hmm. Um, and that friend let me know, and they knew that I was interested in potentially working for a startup company. Um, so I connected with Ryan over Twitter, and it ended up getting me my job. Oh yeah, that's very nice. How how is Ryan as a as a um, CEO? I'm just wondering because I've been I, listening to some of the podcasts. I've never yeah. met a better marketer than Ryan Carson. Ryan is an absolute marketing genius. Um, I think if you follow him on social media or check out his social media accounts at all, you'll see how much work and effort he puts into. Um, marketing, both Treehouse, you know, and, and his own personal brand. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just a phenomenal marketer. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I was just saying, I, I was, I've been listening to a few podcast episodes of like his own, you know, he was sharing his story about, you know, this company and ju- just general attitude for 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 entrepreneurship. Mission, yeah, the mission of Treehouse is a really great mission. Um, when I worked there, I would see stories from people who had learned to code through the app and saying, you know, hey, I learned through Treehouse and I got a job and, you know, I'm on my way to, I'm actually a software engineer now. And I always thought that was super awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, they would describe stories like um, changing their life. Like, hey, I lived in, uh, you know, I, I got evicted from my home after the financial crisis, had to move into a trailer and then built myself up to learn programming and like ended up being able to like buy a house for my family again, turn my life around. I, I've seen just absolutely amazing stories um, when I worked at Treehouse and Volksacker. Right. Um, and so I, uh, I believe, you know, as a data scientist at Treehouse, you uh, help guiding the user interface design and, and product fit through doing lots of uh, A B testing, experimentation, and survival analysis, right? And so, um, what were some of the challenging aspects of your role there? Yeah, <clears throat> I think the um, the number one most challenging aspect for a data scientist is is translation. There's, um, you know, your coworkers uh, have maybe a vague idea about what you can do, um, but they don't um, that the vagueness kind of um, can prevent them from working with you and using your your skills and um, education to clarify problems effectively. So um, the number one most challenging aspect, I would say, is um, translating well for your stakeholders so they know just what is possible in data analysis and machine learning modeling and all that. They have needs, they have business problems, you know, but they, they don't necessarily know the um, lingo uh, to line that up with the analysis type or method. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really, I see it as my job, number one, is to uh, talk to them about their problem, uh, go look at their problem if I can visually, um, walk in their shoes, if uh, so to speak, uh, and then uh, translate the problem into uh, technical jargon to choose an analytical method or two. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, um, I read another article you wrote about this initiative of building a company dashboard from scratch at Treehouse in like two months, right? Yeah, do you mind sharing with the audience like the, the gist of that project? 
Sure. That's quite an old uh, blog post. I think uh, circa 2013. Um, I was really uh, an early budding programmer at that time. Um, I'm self-taught when it comes to programming. I, you know, I hacked around with HTML uh, back when I was in middle school and put it down for a while and picked up SAS and then R and then Ruby. And by the time I got to the point of like creating this dashboard, I was still kind of a baby programmer. Um, but I wired up this dashboard and um, to give you an idea about how like much of a baby programmer I was, for a time period, I would actually like run the job that populated the dashboard like every night. Like every night at like um, 11 p.m., I would be like, oh, hey, I need to go to my computer and run this script. Um, not too long after that, I found out about uh, cron jobs. Uh, but that was definitely a learning experience building that dashboard. Yeah, and the goal of that project was just to, um, I believe, to, to keep keeping track of the, the KPI of the company, isn't it? Oh. Yeah, I when you work at a company like Treehouse or Zapier, I kind of um, envision a hierarchy of needs. Right. Um, and at the base rung, really, is reflecting back what goes on in the web app. Mm -hmm. uh, unlike a physical store that the business owner can like just visually look around, how busy is the store? Like, how empty are the shelves? That's not possible with web apps, uh, or it's difficult um, with web apps. So. With the dashboard in that case, and then also when it came to Zapier, one of the first things I did was build dashboards and reflect back data. Um, in those time periods, I'm just trying to reflect back to my teammates um, what is happening in the store, basically, as much as possible, as clear as possible. Definitely, yeah. And uh, talking about Zapier, so you, after two, two years with Treehouse, you uh, became Zapier's first data scientist, more like a a hybrid position of like a statistician and a software engineer, right? And um, for for those who are not familiar with Zapier, can you like share a brief background overview about the company as well as the problem that it's solving? Sure. So Zapier started in 2011 um, in uh, Columbia, Missouri. And uh, what Zapier does and is, is it's a web app that connects other web apps. Uh, and you can build automations on the Zapier platform. And so basically what we're doing is we're putting a graphical user interface that anyone can use between all the web apps out there. Um, there's over 1,300 on the Zapier platform. And allowing giving the user a graphical user interface so they can build an automation click by click um, and automate their digital tasks. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think... Um it's actually a big thing nowadays because we are all like inundated with so much um, digital information and like a lot of application around the web. And then uh, it's been a lot of uh, talk about the movement for like digital well-being, right? Like how do you uh, minimize your screen time? And it seems like using Zapier, you can, through one user interface, you can like keep track of all your to-do lists, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, I think the filter um, step is uh, one of the most single useful steps. I totally agree. Definitely. It saves me a bunch of time. Yeah. And so um, tell me about your 
your favorite thing about being a data scientist at Zapier? First as an like an individual contributor and then later as a as a manager building a team of data scientists. Sure. Um, so technically I'm not a manager, but I'll get into that. Um, my favorite thing, uh, let's see. Um, so in addition to statistics, uh, I started out in ac economics. And so business is really my original passion. And statistics is just the tool to do it, kind of from my point of view. Or, or one tool to help um, do business. Uh, and I like business because, hey, uh, value, you have to send value to the customer in order to for them to um, decide to pay you, basically. And so um, I looked at that aspect as, hey, this is how I can use this skill set to help make the world a better place. If I can work for a company that does honest business like I think Zapier does and has good values like I think the founders have and instilled in the company, uh, then I can help the world uh, through my statistics um, expertise. And that might be through you know, reflecting back data, what's going on in the store. It might be setting up experiments so we can make a causal um, inference. Mm -hmm. um, like, what happened? Can we cause this uh, thing to happen? Um, or it might um, be filtering the noise uh, in the infrastructure background um, uh, so that um, we're responding to um, issues, real issues, instead of kind of like noise and just randomness. As a data scientist, uh, you work both with like software engineering as well as like the, the product design team, isn't it? How does that kind of sort of, how is your workflow um, like, you know, how, what is like your day-to-day -day look like? Because you have uh -huh. to interface with like a bunch of different departments, it seems like. Yeah, well, um, Zapier has grown quite a lot since 2014 when I joined, so my role has really evolved over time. Okay. Uh, when I joined, you know, I was working with the founders and, um, uh, you know, uh, marketers and um, every, everyone in the company directly one-to-one -one type relationships. So, um, yes, trying to, like, collate their needs a little bit, but really working directly one-to-one. -one. Um, as the company, you know, got to about, um, I guess, about, like, 75-some people, um, you know, that was really... Uh, that one-to-one -one type style was kind of breaking down. So we hired another um, data scientist and we scaled, um, and they were also doing one-to-one -one as well. So we like doubled our capacity for like one-to-one. -one. And then we really focused on building out systems that would um, enable self-service usage. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, we also kind of had another uh, moment where, oh my goodness, now we're 150 people, uh, double 75, you know, so we need to scale again. And um, my boss, he approached me and asked, you know, would you like to build out this team and, like, become a manager? And thankfully at Zapier, they, they respect, um, you know, when that's not exactly your desire, when you're really, like, happier and uh, you'd prefer to go further down the path of expertise um, and develop your skills. Um, and so I really kind of took advantage of that in the sense that, I didn't want to have to become a manager in order to kind of get on this pay promotion like ladder. I prefer to continue doing more of what I was doing as an IC and, and develop um, 
deep expertise in survival analysis, conversion rate optimization, count data, anomaly detection, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we hired a manager uh, who is awesome. His name is Minas Castle. Um, he had experience as a manager and also kind of a VI background as well. Um, and he really, um, he along with really, uh, we also hired a data engineer um, at that time, Scott um, Helgram. Uh, and um, we started scaling a team out and Munas really took the BI piece and put it on his shoulders. And that allowed um, my partner, my data scientist partner, Russell and I to um, continue to develop uh, statistical methods, design experiments and whatnot. Um, and at that point in time, we, we changed from like one-to-one style to like um, matching with product teams. So it was like, an embedded um, style where, you know, I was attached to um, uh, internal, a couple of internal product teams, um, and that those have rotated over time. Um, and today, we're kind of, um, we decided that, you know, the embedding's all right, but it has some issues, and we want, we're going to try out a common um, queue for a little bit. So we're kind of in a stage now where we think that a common queue can, like, uh, give us more opportunities for uh, cross-training and interaction between the data scientists that will be useful. And so we're kind of changing that up. It's um, When your company scales at the rate of uh, Zapier, really uh, the way that you work will change and scale along with that. So, uh, yeah, talking about, like, the business intelligence, um, I, I read, like, your article about building a, a BI radar using the Zapier database, right? Um, do you mind giving, giving me, like, a glimpse about that project? I think one thing that I've learned in my, like, data scientist journey is that um, there's a whole body of knowledge around business intelligence, in particular, like, structuring databases for business intelligence that really is not a part of the data science, like, history or tradition. Um, and so when it comes to BI... Uh, I really have um, worked with my partners, uh, my teammates, Mines, um and uh, my data engineers, Scott and Drajan, uh, um, and data modelers as well, um, to perform the BI need of the company, to reflect back what's going on in the store uh, with the company. So if I was going to give a data scientist a suggestion today, about like where how to like maximize their value, I I would guide them away from business intelligence. I think it's a super important business function, um, but I think that BI like tradition, education, and history it is really fantastic. Whereas I think the core like competency of a data scientist is heavily centered in statistics and then um, machine learning, which I view as. Uh, um, kind of a related applied um, statistics field, similar to econometrics. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, my sense is that data scientists can really provide the most value through statistics and, yes, programming, surely. Um, but statistics, not programming, is really, like, the feature. Another cool project that you work on at Zapier is... Um building an uh, anomaly detection chatbot to keep track of the communication via Slack between Zapier team members. So um, it'd be great if you can like go into more details on this work. 
Yeah. Um, so there's a Slack, there's an article on the Slack developer blog. I think if you just Google Slack blog, um, or Slack developer blog, uh, we built an anomaly bot or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it will come up. Um, so my team uh, used an event log to collect all kinds of events that are occurring around the web app. This is super common in our industry. Um, and it creates a quite voluminous, large, quote-unquote, big data log. And then you have a new problem, which is that now it's difficult to parse that log and understand exactly what's happening today because there's just so much data. So I had an idea to um, take um, daily counts of this log um, and, you know, um, I'll kind of connect this back to my where I mentioned I was going deep in count data models. Um, I really studied these uh, this count data uh, through the lens of the negative binomial distribution. I uh, kind of figuring out, hey, what I could do is um, pass this data into a job that would lop off the last data point, make a prediction interval one step ahead, and then uh, determine if uh, the last thing we've seen is within that prediction interval or not. And um, it turns out that when it's out, when things are outside of the prediction interval, usually that's caused by a bug or a feature that just shipped um, or um, anomalous or like strange, interesting user behavior in the system. Um, and so then um, once I was able to surface anomalies, I then distributed them around our teams, our company's Slack chat room, which is kind of like our office. Mm-hmm. Um, people use the different chat rooms like different parts of an office building. Um, they're, or they're like different water coolers, perhaps. And so then I like wrote a little um, router that would route the anomalies and show a graph showing the anomaly and like a link to the data and everything. Um, and practically, um, when people think of anomaly, they kind of think of the catastrophic or the spectacular. But what I've noticed more than anything is that this surfaces what the various teams are doing um, and, and how that impacts um, the website and um, the usage by users. And it tones down the noise. It makes the um, changes in data um, manageable to digest and pleasant even to digest um, uh, instead of feeling overwhelming. So that project's still, that program's still running out there, still yeah. parsing our logs and uh, helping our team learn if there's unusual behavior in the mm-hmm. system. Yeah, that's really cool. It's you, like a, a project you do on, on your free time, it can like become a core, core function of the business, right? Yeah, Zapier's, um, it wasn't the first algorithm I built. There's another algorithm that protects our infrastructure um, that's still in service for, mm, must be coming up on three years or so. Um, you know, and um, it, the great thing about Zapier is that they really foster um, uh, the curiosity of their employees and give them room to try out new things to fix um, problems. Uh, so I always had the support of my uh, bosses and founders. Um, and uh, I love just building an algorithm and um, I like to keep things like nice and simple. A lot of them run on like cron jobs. And so I, there isn't a whole microservice. It's just a cron tab running on a, on a computer somewhere. But um, 
some have been picked up by the engineering team and like developed into services too. Um, so that's always really cool to work with engineers and um, kind of grow up something that you built. Yeah, I was just taking a look at your GitHub, and it seems like you did a ton of like open source project in R and there. Um, and so, what what were some of the most interesting projects that you work on during your spare time? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned that that I learned programming on the job, mm-hmm. and so uh, a lot of my uh, spare time, like early on in my career, was focused on learning programming. Um, I started out like R is my native kind of like lingua franca language or whatever um uh so i learned python um i had already previously learned a little bit of ruby um i dipped into javascript um i learned lisp um and read um programming books like the little schemer um to learn lisp uh so like early on in my career i expose myself to a lot of different languages. Um, people say, hey, R is a domain-specific language centered on statistics. Uh, is partially true, but um, you know, I, I learned how other programming languages achieve the same thing. Um, and my, I learned a lot uh, by learning other programming languages. I learned even more about R and how to use R. Um, Later on, um, once my programming skills uh, were developed, I went into infrastructure automation. Um, I learned um, Ansible for managing remote boxes, um, remote computers. Um, I learned Terraform for describing how they should be set up. Um, and then lately, I have been kind of going back to statistics um, and Um, learning more about um, Bayesian statistics and parametric models, um, fitting data in general, um, modeling, um, supervised learning, I think machine learners would call it technically. Right. Being exposed to a variety of programming language allow you to to, um, develop diverse mental models, right? in which you can uh, apply to, to, to solve a, a problem um, outside the box, I believe. Yeah, definitely. Another question I, I want to ask. So you, um, you uh, Treehouse and Zapier, they both like uh, distributed team, right? So you, you work remotely. Um, yes. So what advice that could you give for people who want to seek like remote data science positions? Sure. Yeah, I've worked remotely since 2012. From the get-go, I felt like remote work uh, suited me. Um, I think one of the kind of key determinants if you're going to be successful in remote work or not is your work ethic. Um, your kind of just a basic motivation to come in and um, do work every day, day in and day out. When I was hired, uh, the CEO, one of the three co-founders of Zapier, Wade Foster, mentioned, I want to hire people that if they were in Timbuktu, the middle of nowhere that I know that they'd be, they'd be working, you know? And I always identified with that. Um, like I mentioned, I view business as the act of kind of, uh, passing value to the customer and then, you know, um, revenue goes the other way, uh, in return. And so, uh, 
I've always felt motivated to, to do that, to perform, uh, creating value and trying to then, um, capture like a revenue and return for that. Um, so work ethic is number one. Number two, um, uh, is really, you have to, um, you're, I reject the notion that remote work is, uh, socially isolating like writ large because there are um i have co-workers that i meet with um every other day we'll say or um weekly and i know about their home lives and their children and uh, even though i'm in alabama i know about my um co-workers home life in vancouver um or uh what's going on in guatemala or croatia um Still, nonetheless, um, I didn't have, I mean, basically you have to be intentional about getting out and socializing. Um, when you work in a physical office, there's all kinds of like idle, like, you know, time to, um, socialize, chit chat, get to know your teammates. That's very valuable. Um, you have to be a lot more intentional about it when you do remote work. Yeah. I, uh, I was reading like this book from the base camp, co-founder. Not too long ago, and they, if you don't know, like Basecamp is like one of the first company that utilized sort of the remote work initiative, yep. and there was a lot of research on how um, remote work essentially strengthened your your productivity because you have to be, like you mentioned, intentional about everything. Like industry. Yeah, I think Jason, um, Jason Fried and BHH are like spot on with their assessment about that, and I also think that Paul Graham's like idea of maker uh, time is, is really uh, poignant and relevant. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, so at this time of our conversation, I want to wind out with the closing segment in which I'm just going to ask you a few couple of quick-fire questions and you respond with the answers uh, with uh, tactical advice for, for, for our audience. Um, sure. The first one is that uh, what are some of the companies which are doing exceptional data science work that you really admire? Sure. Well, I'm definitely biased, but I have to rep my own company, Zapier, um, first. I, I'm just, um, I feel so lucky to be able to perform experiments, to work for a company that has actual needs that require advanced statistics and machine learning techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I feel super uh, lucky for that, and I feel like we're just doing... Uh, cutting-edge research work at Zapier. Um, After that, I'd say um, Shopify is is a company I admired a lot. Um, There's a data scientist there, Cam Davidson uh, Pilon, um, who has created two uh, Python libraries, Lifelines and Lifetimes, uh, that I think are really impressive. Um, And then also, um, I mentioned Stitch Fix uh, as well. Okay. Uh, there's a data scientist there, Kim Larson, um, who, uh, for example, wrote a blog post on using um, generalized additive models that I think is just a really great um, connection between statistical models and machine learning models. Mm, absolutely. Um, second question is that uh, what is one well, what is one book that you could recommend for people who want to develop a better analytical mindset? Well, you did mention a little bit of like some of the more uh, academic book earlier, but you know, is there any other an, another choice that you you would say uh, maybe not so much academic? 
Yeah, okay. Let me, um... Uh, yeah, alright. I would, I recommend uh, folks to the R for Data Science book by Hadley Wickham mm -hmm. and uh, Garrett Gor Gormand. Uh, it's it's more focused on, it starts out and it's focused on R, but um, I would say that, and this isn't a book, but Hadley Wickham has materials uh, from the time, the early time of like ggplot2, where he was exploring different ways to visualize data. And I think that uh, the various uh, materials that he produced during that time were just really useful um, and helpful for exploratory data analysis. Um, I, I also recommend um, going back and reading the original like comments and writings by uh, John Tukey around data, exploratory data analysis, mm -hmm. and then following that through um, through like the William Cleveland Grammar of Graphics idea through Hadley Wickham. Um, and, and really reading about uh, how to first analyze data using a visual technique. Um, I think it's, it's easy to get ahead of yourself if you just jump right into the statistical tools. Uh, but if you start with a visual exploratory data analysis technique, uh, then it can help you understand and focus you on the right statistical tools to analyze a problem. Yep, that's great. And uh, the last question I had, uh, imagine that you can send out a tweet to all the aspiring data scientists on Twitter. What would you tweet about? Yeah, okay. Um, this is a great question. Uh, there might be, a, I'm going to like put a few different uh, ideas together here, but I'd start out by saying educate yourself in statistical theory as much as possible. Um, statistical theory like underpins the things that we do, whether it's machine learning, you know, artificial intelligence or statistical models. Um, that statistical theory is at the heart of machine learning and artificial intelligence and data science in general. Um, learn programming on the job. Study programming and learn different languages and try new things. Um, I say on the job because it's harder to pick up the statistics on the job. It's a little bit easier, in my opinion, to pick up the programming on the job because there's so many great resources like Stack Overflow and online tutorials where, where they're not with statistical um, theory. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, um, share what you learn on Twitter uh, through like the rstats hashtag, uh, I think maybe like the pydata hashtag, and also in your blog. As I've done that through my career, um, I have had many, much more in the way of benefits come my way um, than, uh, than the time and effort it took to actually put that together and share a little bit of what I learned with the community. But share what you've learned. Yep, well, that's beautiful. And then, um, well, thanks a lot, you know, Christopher. I think um, I want to end our conversation here. I really appreciate you sharing your experience, you know, um, studying statistics, uh, being an energy economist, you know, doing remote work at a treehouse Zapier and Zapier, as well as you know, some t um, practical advice for aspiring data, data scientists who want to uh, get into the field. And yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for giving me the opportunity, James. I'm always happy to help uh, folks that are like um, just starting out in this field um, or even a little bit down the road. 
Um, I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Well, that's the wrap for another episode of Datacast. Hopefully, you have learned something insightful and interesting from my guest today. You can read the show notes from the podcast website at datacast.simplecast.fm. If you want to get instant updates when a new episode is released, either follow me on Twitter or subscribe to my newsletter on my website, jameskelly.com. It is my greatest pleasure that you listen to this podcast and take advantage of the data revolution coming upon us. Goodbye for now.